Objections Overruled 1 and 2 audiobooks are produced by Lutheran Public Radio and are made possible with support from listeners like you. You can contribute to the production of future audiobooks at issuesetc.org support. Look for Objections Overruled 3 in December of 2023. Jesus Never Claimed to Be God Corey D. Moss Jesus referred to himself using words of Scripture reserved for God. Jesus' original hearers accused him of blasphemy because they understood that he was identifying himself as God. Jesus always confirmed the confessions of people who recognized him as God. Jesus himself didn't call himself God and didn't consider himself God. Bart Ehrman, Fresh Air, National Public Radio, April 7, 2014. The above quotation shows that Jesus calling himself God or considering himself God are two different questions. If he called himself divine, there is every reason to believe he considered himself divine. But it's not necessarily true that, if he considered himself God, he would have explicitly called himself God. At the same time, the only way to determine whether Jesus considered himself God is by looking at claims he made about himself. Because those claims are most reliably recorded in the New Testament Gospels, we must look there for information about Jesus' self-perception. Before doing so, two points are worth emphasizing. The first is that a claim might exist without being obvious. In other words, we should not assume that any assertion of divinity would take the plain form of, Hi, my name is Jesus, I'm God. In fact, as we'll see, there are good reasons to assume it would not take that form. The second point is that before addressing what Jesus said, we must understand how he often said things and why he said them that way. For example, he often spoke in parables, but his reason for doing so is frequently misunderstood. The parables are not, as is sometimes suggested, simple illustrations that make Jesus' teaching easier to understand. According to Jesus himself, at least part of their purpose was to prevent some people from fully understanding his claims. For example, Luke chapter 8, verse 10. This desire not to publicize explicit claims about himself and his teaching, even when those claims are acknowledged to be true, appears even more clearly elsewhere. When Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Messiah, Jesus commends him for speaking the truth. But he also immediately charges Peter to tell no one, Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 20. This may seem strange to contemporary individuals who have been counseled to speak plainly and say what you mean. But this veiled manner of speaking and writing was common among philosophers and teachers in the ancient world. The reasons for this reserved approach varied, but one typical reason was for teaching. To speak in hints or riddles forces hearers to wrestle with what is being said. Then they discern and own the truth themselves. This seems quite obviously the point of the conversation leading to Peter's confession in Matthew chapter 16. Rather than simply telling the disciples that he is the Messiah, Jesus says, in effect, figure it out. On the evidence of my words and deeds, who do you suppose I am? See also, for example, Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. 
Another common reason for speaking indirectly was to protect the hearers or the speaker. Hints of this motive are evident in the same section of Matthew chapter 16. Having confirmed that Jesus is the Messiah, Peter concludes, contrary to what Jesus explicitly said, that Jesus will not imminently suffer and die, verses 21 through 23. One reason for this conclusion was the prominent Jewish expectation that the promised Messiah would vanquish Israel's political oppressors and reign over an established earthly kingdom. Compare, for example, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. In this light, Jesus' desire not to broadcast his messianic status more widely can be viewed as doubly protective. He wants to protect his hearers, including Peter, from a popular but mistaken understanding of what he has come to accomplish. Jesus also protects himself from the distractions these misunderstandings would bring to his ministry. See, for example, John chapter 6, verse 15. Further, First-century Jews did not expect their Messiah to be God himself. This is not surprising, knowing Judaism's strict monotheism. But it also highlights again why Jesus regularly chose to speak indirectly about his identity. His audience confessed one God and expected a non-divine Messiah. Explicitly identifying himself as the Messiah would be heard as an implicit admission that he was not God. Conversely, explicitly identifying himself as God would be heard as an implicit admission that he was not the Messiah. Claiming to be God would be blasphemous. Monotheistic Jews would believe that Jesus could not be the Messiah if he identified himself as God. As evidenced by Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, however, Jesus does consider himself the Messiah. He avoids explicitly making that claim himself, but he commends Peter for accurately identifying him as the Christ. Is there any similar evidence, then, that Jesus considered himself God, even if he avoided explicitly saying so? There is ample evidence. The first strand of evidence might be the least obvious to contemporary readers of the New Testament. The title Jesus uses for himself more than any other is Son of Man. On its face, this name would seem to militate against Jesus' divine self-understanding and suggest a simple, even obvious, confirmation of his humanity. But the way he regularly invokes the title shows that he understands it in accordance with Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. This is evident, for example, in Mark chapter 13, verse 26, and Mark chapter 14, verse 62, where Jesus refers to the Son of Man coming, as in Daniel's prophecy, with the clouds of heaven. The clear allusions to Daniel's prophecy are important because the one like a Son of Man in Daniel is divine. In the whole of the Old Testament, only God himself is described as appearing with or on the clouds. For example, Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, and Psalm 104, verse 3. Only God is described in the Old Testament as having an everlasting kingdom or dominion. For example, Psalm 145, verse 13, and Daniel chapter 6, verse 26. The Aramaic verb in Daniel chapter 7 verse 14, translated serve in the English Standard Version, nowhere means anything less than worship of a deity. For example, Daniel chapter 3 verse 12 and chapter 6 verse 16. 
In this light, it is hardly surprising that Jewish writings from the century before Jesus describe the prophesied Son of Man in exclusively divine terms. The Son of Man existed before the world was created and deserved worship by all. For example, 1 Enoch chapter 48, verses 2-6. through 6. Both the Old Testament and the first century Jews understood the Son of Man as divine. So it is not surprising that Jesus, calling himself the Son of Man, was denounced as blasphemy deserving death. Matthew chapter 26 verses 64 through 66 and Mark chapter 14 verses 62 through 64. Jesus' claim to be divine was subtle, but it was clearly understood. The claim to be God couched in references to the Son of Man becomes even clearer when these references are made alongside similar and complementary assertions. Even the most skeptical scholars recognize that Jesus' ministry emphasized the coming kingdom of God. For example, Mark chapter 4 verse 11, Luke chapter 9 verse 11, and Luke chapter 17 verses 20 to 21. But Jesus also claims that God's kingdom is his own kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of Man. For example, Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, and chapter 16, verse 28. A similar double allusion occurs at the paralytic's healing recorded in each of the synoptic gospels. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. When Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, the Jewish scribes instantly grasp and object to the clear implication of his words. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus does not deny that God alone can forgive sins. Yet he shows that this does not prevent him from doing so. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The assumption of blasphemy is found in response to other of Jesus' sayings as well. Perhaps most famously, he was understood to blaspheme when he applied the very name of God to himself. In response to the question of how someone so young could have seen Abraham, Jesus replied, Before Abraham was, I am. In response, his questioners immediately picked up stones to throw at him. John chapter 8 verses 57 through 59. Once again, modern readers might not immediately grasp what is going on here. Jesus' grammar is awkward, but even in antiquity, it was not the custom to stone people to death for bad grammar. It was not unheard of, however, to stone a man who blasphemes the name of the Lord. See Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. God's name, Yahweh in Hebrew, roughly translates into English as, I am. See Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, commonly used in the first century, this name was rendered Ego Eimi, knowing this makes it easier to understand why Jesus' hearers picked up stones. He had not said something that might simply have seemed absurd, but was at least grammatically correct, before Abraham was, I was. His ungrammatical reply intentionally highlights his far bolder claim. He is claiming the biblical name of God for himself. Before Abraham was, a go a me. John's gospel is not the only place that records such a bold claim. 
though the Gospel of John records similar claims most explicitly. For example, John chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, chapter 10, verses 30 through 33, and chapter 14, verse 9. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus applies ego eimi to himself in the presence of the Jewish high council. This time he draws attention not with curious grammar, but by simultaneously calling himself the Son of Man. Mark chapter 14 verse 62. Again, we see that Jesus' intention is clearly understood because the high priest accuses him of blasphemy. In other contexts, though, Jesus' use of the divine name is greeted very differently. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 27, he invokes the name as he walks on the water toward the boat of his terrified disciples. Take heart, ego eimi, do not be afraid. The ESV translation, it is I, obscures the implication of the Greek, which takes the form of the divine name. Perhaps more revealing than the use of the name itself is the reaction of the disciples. Those in the boat worshipped him, verse 33. Even more revealing than the disciples' reaction, however, is Jesus' own reaction, or more precisely, his lack thereof. Jesus does not rebuke or correct those who offer him worship here or on other occasions. For example, Matthew chapter 28, verse 17 and Luke chapter 24, verse 52. This is unlike times in the New Testament when worship is offered to mere men. For example, Acts chapter 10 verses 25 to 26 and chapter 14 verses 11 through 15. It is especially remarkable in light of Jesus himself having pointedly insisted on the Jewish norm, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Matthew chapter 4 verse 10. By now, the general pattern of Jesus' claims about his identity and the way he makes those claims has become obvious. The implication of these claims should also be relatively obvious. If the Son of Man was understood to be divine, and Jesus claims to be the Son of Man, the clear implication is that he's claiming to be divine. If the kingdom he proclaims is God's kingdom, and he also insists it's his own kingdom, it's pretty clear that he's claiming to be God. If he grants that only God can forgive sins, yet claims to forgive sins himself, indisputably he considers himself God. If he recognizes that the Lord's own name is I Am, and applies that name to himself, unquestionably he perceives himself as the Lord. If he insists that God alone is to be worshipped, and yet allows worship of himself, undeniably he understands himself to be God. In this light, the two very different reactions consistently prompted by Jesus' assertions are the only logical reactions. If one disbelieves Jesus' claims, it is perfectly logical to conclude that he is blaspheming and deserves death. If one believes his claims, it is equally reasonable to conclude that Jesus is indeed, as Thomas confessed, my Lord and my God, John chapter 20, verse 28, and deserves worship. The only unwarranted and entirely illogical conclusion is that Jesus himself didn't call himself God and didn't consider himself God.